0: Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations all based on a biblical worldview. Good morning. morning. Sabbath blessings. We have been going through the last few weeks the book of Daniel. And last week we looked at chapter 5. Deborah did a very nice job of presenting us the things, the messages in Daniel chapter 5. And you remember it ended with the, the end of the Babylonian Empire. One of the lessons in the book of Daniel is that God is sovereign and that all these other kingdoms and countries and nations will rise and then they will fall and disappear. And now Babylon is gone. And we've seen that theme repeated over and over, haven't we, in this world's history? At this time, our prophet Daniel is about 84 years old. Now, he's an elderly man, but he's a very experienced man. And just let me read to you Daniel chapter, the last part of Daniel, chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. That very night... Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So now you see the end of Babylon and the rise of a new empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, basically called the Persian Empire in later times by most people. And in that empire, we see that Daniel is going to rise to prominence once more. <clears throat> this is a new empire, and, and when a new administration takes over, there's a, quite a shuffle, isn't there? There's quite a change in personnel. Does the, when a new president comes into office, does he take the cabinet from the previous administration and appoint them to his new positions? No, he doesn't do that, does he? He wants his own people, his own men and women, who are going to see things his way who are going to be loyal that he can trust and who will carry out his his orders. And so the the new empire is rising, the Medo-Persian empire, Darius is on the throne, and he's looking to form this new government. And so he's got 120 satraps and three governors, and one of those governors is guess who? Daniel. The king is noticing a particular administrator who's performing exceptionally well. Above all the other governors and satraps, Daniel, to have been chosen to be part of this newly organized government, that's just unheard of. It's just not done. It's extraordinary. But Daniel is the one holdover and the one expressly held over by God For a holy purpose Daniel's a special person and God has plans for Daniel he wants Daniel in the midst of this organization of this new empire we look at verse 3 Daniel 6 verse 3 when this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him well now that's an interesting word or phrase isn't it an excellent spirit was in him the king is noticing he's got all of these people to administer he has many nations in his empire that have been conquered by the, in the past and he has to have governance over all of them but there's one he he has this one governor And uh, and he's thinking, the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. He said, there's such an excellent spirit in him. I think I'd like to put him in charge of all of these other things, even the other governors, not just the satraps. And so we see that Daniel had certain qualities. Now, this excellent spirit that was in him, what was it about him that the king thought of as an excellent spirit? Well, first of all, it was his age and maturity. Daniel had a long history with the previous empire. He knew the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the problem areas, the areas that needed special attention. He knew the history, he knew the landscape of the issues they'd be facing. And so he had that age and that maturity. He was very experienced. Does experience ever come in helpful on things? Have you ever done something the first time and it didn't go so well, but you learned a lot from it? Well, that that's true in all of life, it really is. And people that have done something over and over again, they can get really good at it, very efficient. Things I can remember that I, the first time I did it, it took, them, took me quite a while. But after a while, oh, I had that down to a science. Click, 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 just went like that. Daniel had experience. He was confident, and and he had been a successful prime minister already. And he had that bright spirit of a servant. He wasn't arrogant or ambitious. And the third quality he had was he had an excellent education. Now, for a governor, a good education can be a very, very helpful thing. He had excelled in the learning of the Babylonians. He knew the Babylonians and their language. Here, meet Darius is trying to lead a bunch of Babylonians along into his new empire and having somebody like Daniel around with his education. Oh, the king could come to him and consult with him because Daniel knew things that Darius didn't know. He knew things. It's good to talk to people who know things, isn't it? I know in my life experience when i see somebody that knows things that are interesting i like to go and talk to them because i figure i'm not, maybe i'll pick up some of that myself and another principle or another characteristic of daniel that gave him an excellent spirit was he had integrity could we use a little more of that in government today <laughs> yes mercy <laughs> he could be trusted He was honest, he was straightforward, he was transparent and the decisions that he made were not subject to biases. He he wasn't biased against people by their race or their rank or their wealth. He, He dealt with each person honestly and straightforwardly. He sought to be just, fair, and merciful. And the final principle or the final characteristic that I'd like to mention for this man of excellent spirit is he was a man who was god-fearing and pious now daniel really knew god to know god in a personal intimate way does that make a person does that give a person certain qualities certain characteristics certain abilities to really know god intimately in the way that daniel knew him he god if you spend time with god you know what happens You begin to get wiser. God's wisdom begins to come to you. God can guide you. I have had times in my life where I really wanted to know, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is, I'm facing an important place in my life, important decisions. Lord, would you please give me some special understanding and guidance here? And do you know the Lord has done that for me more than once? And I'm so grateful for it. And I can see how the direction of my life moved in a new direction because of God's guidance in my life. So he was God-fearing and pious, and he and he had wisdom and guidance from the Lord. And also, he had something very special that I value in people. He had discernment and insight. People who have had some wisdom in their life, they have discernment. By that, that means they can they can see in things. They can have a certain sense of what's right, what's wrong, what's going in the right direction, what's going in the wrong direction. Discernment. There have been times, I've been a pastor for years, and when I pastor different churches, sometimes I would see problems arising in a church, and people who had been Christians and Adventists for decades, and I say, how can they fall for that? Don't, where's their discernment? God wants us to grow in discernment as we grow in our walk with the Lord. So, Daniel had an excellent spirit. Is God willing to give an excellent spirit to anybody else? Do you think we ought to be interested in asking God to help us to have an excellent spirit? To seek for that, to be inspired by the example of Daniel, and to to seek for it and desire it. Would it be wrong to ask our Heavenly Father to help us to grow into an excellent spirit? I think it'd be a good prayer, don't you? <clears throat> and Now we come to the heavy part here. In Daniel chapter four verses four, Daniel six verses four and five, we read, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Why are they doing that? because the king is thinking to put him over the whole realm, over all of them. But they could find no charge or fault. Because he was faithful, there was, nor was there any error or fault found in him. When you consider all the duties, all the responsibilities, and all the history that Daniel had, if they couldn't find, and these people are not his friends. They want to destroy him. They want him out of the picture. They want him dead. And they couldn't find anything to charge him against. What does that say about the kind of leadership and responsibility of this person? It's extraordinary. And then, verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Ah, they think, there's his weak point. No, there's his strong point. But they don't understand that. They say, we, we can get him because he's so faithful in his service to God, we can conceive and we can develop a plot and a plan to catch him on this. And so in their jealousy and pride, they, conf- they form a conspiracy among them, and they begin devising a scheme to destroy Daniel. Satan was inspiring this. Satan was behind this. He was inspiring these evil thoughts in them, and they were serving the devil in a, in a very significant way in this evil plot. They were determined to put an end to Daniel's righteous and just influence. Here we see spiritual warfare coming into the picture, don't we? There are times when the, the forces of good and righteousness and the forces of evil and, and, and bad, they come into conflict, and there's a struggle and the forces of good, the the holy angels and the evil angels are working in a situation upon people's hearts and minds, and they're working in a way where there's a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare going on, and that's what's happening here. The character of the new empire, this newly established empire is at stake. A lot is at risk here. If those evil men take over full control, Without Daniel's influence, what kind of leadership are they gonna give? Will the lives of the people under the rule of this new king, will they be better or worse because of these evil people that are running things? They'll be worse. All kinds of bad things can happen from there. But if Daniel is over this whole thing with his righteousness, his wisdom and discernment, and his character the whole, all the kingdom, all these nations that are under the rule of the Medo-Persians, will all be influenced in righteousness and in goodness and, and they will prosper in ways that they wouldn't otherwise. So we look at verses 6 to 9. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said this to him, King Darius lived forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together. Is that true? Have all of them done that? Daniel was one of the governors. Did they consult with him? I don't think so. So they're lying. Have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And the king falls for it. He's flattered. It's like, oh, they're going to recognize my authority and my power. And and they set the trap for Daniel. The king is tricked into signing this very ill-conceived decree. And it becomes law. And so we have the issue here of a conflict between true and false worship. True and false worship. Have there ever been times in this world's history where there was a conflict between true and false worship? Oh yes, many times. There are very significant issues involved in this decree. The heart of the decree is a conflict between loyalty to God versus the loyalty to the king. And it clearly violates which commandment of the Ten Commandments. The very first one says, You shall have no other gods before me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? The king is becoming the god, and the laws of of them are conflicting with faithfulness to his god. And so Darius' law says don't worship anyone except the king. God's law and man's law are in direct conflict there. Do you recall another time in the book of Daniel in this series so far where there was a conflict like that? where the king's law and God's law were in conflict? What about chapter three and the three Hebrew worthies on the plain of Dura where the king Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree, you're all to bow down and worship this golden idol. Well, the commandment says, we're to have no other gods before him and we're, we're not to bow down and worship idols. So again, we have the conflict between God's law and the king's law. And so we see this is a theme that is carried on through the book of Daniel. The same adversary of souls who inspired Nebuchadnezzar's decree led evil governors and satraps to devise a plan to trap Daniel right here at this time. Will that ever be an issue that will come up again, a conflict between true and false worship? What about the book of Revelation? Those of you who are familiar with the book of Revelation this deals very strongly with this issue that in the last days, people living in this time will face a conflict for, between the forces of good and evil and between true and false worship. That's a, a subject for another occasion, but that, that subject of the conflict between true and false worship and spiritual warfare is going to be very much a part of the day and age that is coming. In scripture, there was a time when Moses and Pharaoh had their conflicts over these things, and Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and here in Daniel, and other places. There's a lesson for us here today. Be watchful in your own life and consider seriously your decisions so that you don't fall into some form of false worship. Daniel 6.10 Now, when Dan, what's Daniel's response to this decree, this new law? Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. now, Daniel doesn't change a thing. He continues to be the the person that he is. He's, you you would think, you think he might have been tempted to compromise just temporarily. After all, it's just for 30 days. I could stop praying for 30 days openly. They don't know what I do secretly. But but I can close the windows or I I can do things to make it apparent that I'm not praying or in some way, practice some form of de- deceit. As human beings, our minds have the ability to rationalize tremendously. You can take something and you can begin to twist it around and think about different ways of handling it. And you can you can justify things that inwardly maybe aren't really true or right. And Daniel, do you think he could have been test- or, uh, tried and tested, and th- thought, tempted maybe to compromise or to rationalize? it would have been very easy to do wouldn't it in his situation but he wouldn't do it not daniel he was a man of integrity so we have spiritual warfare at work here he won't compromise example and experience in daniel's life reveals the truth that in daily business or pursuits not necessary, it's not necessary to compromise our spiritual principles of honesty and integrity to the pressures of this world. God will help us to be faithful and he will, he will strengthen us and give us the strength to do that. One of the weapons in dealing with situations like this that I've learned that is really a blessing and a help and has been a help to many Christians over the years, when you're in the midst of a spiritual battle like this and a testing of your faith, Prayer is so important, and there's an aspect of prayer that I believe is so, so much neglected by many Christians, and that is the prayer of praise. When it seems like it's the worst possible time to think about things like that when you're in this desperate situation, but you, you, you go away and you, you leave your circumstances and you take your walk with God seriously and you begin to offer praise to God. Much of our prayers are occupied in asking for things, and that's not wrong. God wants us to ask for things, nothing wrong with that. But the whole prayer shouldn't just be, God give me this, and God please do that for me, and do that for this person, and that. The prayer should also have praise in it. And by praise, we have the power to to grow closer to God, And it's a weapon in spiritual warfare. And when in praise, you focus on God, not on you or other problems. You focus on God. Who is God? What is his character? What has he done? What are his works and his power? You begin to uplift and exalt the name of God and praise him. When you do that, there's a special power that comes into the life that exalts the power of God. Our God is able and we exalt that his power is there. When we praise God and make him dominant, it makes him dominant in our lives and the problems and fears become more manageable and begin to sink into their proper place. And spiritually and psychologically, it can be transforming. I encourage you to develop praise in your prayer life, especially in times like Daniel was facing. Faith reaches to the unseen and grasps eternal realities. Now we come to Daniel 6 verses 11 to 13. These men assembled and found Daniel praying, making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. They figure they've got him. And all of a sudden, (laughs) the king is horrified. All of a sudden he begins to understand He's greatly displeased, it says in verses 14 and 15. He recognizes he's been played, he's been snookered, he's been tricked, he's been hoodwinked, and he's had the wool pulled over his eyes, and he's horrified. He realizes, oh, I see now what they've been up to. It wasn't what I thought at all. And so Darius works as hard as he can throughout the day, trying everything he can think of to save Daniel. Darius shows here more than just a passing appreciation for Daniel's skills as an administrator. I think the king has come to really love and appreciate this man, that God has given favor to Daniel in the king's heart. And the king does not want to see Daniel uh, killed, but what a way to go, huh? Hungry lions? (laughs) Oh, not a nice way to go. Darius exerts great effort to save him, but to no avail. So we come to verse 16. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. The king had come to have confidence in Daniel's God, that he was a God who could deliver. Is that one of the themes we see in Daniel? What about Daniel 3 and the three Hebrews that were thrown into the fiery furnace? Did God deliver them? God is a great deliverer, and we should be encouraged in our reading and study of this book to realize where the God delivers us now instantly at the moment, he will ultimately deliver all his children, absolutely. And so the king is saying here, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. I hope, I hope. (laughs) And so the king, it says in verse 17, then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So, here he is. He's been cast into this den of lions. By the way, I learned that as I was studying here, many of the ancient kings actually had zoos or places where they kept these kinds of animals. And sometimes they would use some of them, they would go out on hunts and they would release the animal and hunt it. That was part of their sport. But here he is with this den of lions. And cast into the dead. And Daniel fearlessly goes into the den. The king speaks and says, he will deliver you. The stone is laid over it. And here he is in the midst of these powerful predators. Have you ever been close to a lion? I have. One time I was at a zoo in San Francisco. I got up really close to one of those beasts. Oh, are they impressive. They're powerful. Powerful predators. But Daniel's a praying man. He's been praying three times a day. And what do you suppose he was doing there? He was praying and claiming promises from the Bible. It's interesting that in another part of the Bible, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Roaring lion. As he approached the den to be casted, was the, were the lions roaring? They may have been. It would not be a comfortable moment, <laughs> to say the least. And so we should be sober and vigilant, watchful, that we are not falling into the hands or into the claws of the roaring lion. And then verse 18 tells us, Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and his sleep went from him. What kind of night did the king have? He had a miserable night. He didn't sleep. He was so consumed with worry for Daniel and he's guilty. He's feeling terrible. He got tricked into this thing and he, he's had a miserable night. And then it says verse 19, the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to see the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. He wonders, will I get an answer? Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? So then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him and also a king. I've done no wrong before you. <clears throat> so what kind of night do you think Daniel had? Interesting question. Here, the We know what kind of night the king had. He was absolutely miserable. I can picture Daniel. Now just indulge me for a second here. Can you... When he realized the angel was there to guard him, was Daniel a man of faith? Absolutely. Do you know what I can picture? I can see Daniel peacefully laying down and using one of those docile lions who is purring, not roaring. And he's laying his head on him for a pillow. (laughs) Daniel had a nice night, and he had a lot of warm company. (laughs) So they weren't pouring. They weren't roaring. They were purring. I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometime you get a chance. That first classroom on the right as you're coming in the entry, if you just peek in the door and look at the wall, there's a beautifully done painting that someone has done, and it shows Daniel in the lion's den with the lions, but they're rubbing up against them like pussy cats, like they're purring, and they're just having a wonderful time together. I could actually enjoy the company of those kinds of lions, couldn't you? <laughs> anyway, I, I, I just have fun with that when I think of it. <clears throat> and so Daniel's had this very different night and it says in verse 23 the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God and so Daniel is taken up and God allowed this evil plot to play out so that the deliverance would be even more marked and the defeat of the enemies more complete because what's coming next? Verse 24, the, he has them, the, it says, the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Apparently the angel had left. <laughs> and the, di- the lion's appetite had returned. <laughs> because before they ever hit the floor, they were being torn in pieces and, and, and devoured. In the ancient times, it's, we, we say, that's terrible what happened to them. It says in verse 24 that their children and their wives were also thrown in with them. I feel badly about that, but in ancient times, they had a custom that said, if you're gonna do something to somebody and they have relatives and family around them, you gotta take them out too, because they're potential people who will take revenge on you. So they figured that that was what they would do. And so they took the took the whole family out. And um, the the lions, feasted. So Darius honors Daniel. King Darius wrote to all people's nations languages that dwell in all the earth peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And who has delivered Daniel, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So here we see an interesting paradigm that's forming here. We see vindication in the, this parable, in this story. Daniel and his God are both vindicated. Daniel is not guilty. He told the king, I have done no wrong against you, and the king knew that was right. <clears throat> He'd been falsely accused. He was vindicated. But greater than that, Daniel's God was vindicated too. God was shown to be the true and the living God, and, and God was honored and exalted throughout the empire. So here we have... A last day time of the end paradigm when we see what we see here in Daniel 6 is an example, a forerunner, a type of what happens on a universal scale when God's people will be delivered, evil will be punished, and the Lord God vindicated. That is the final events of this earth's history. We will see that vindication and that time of uh, justice. all doubts regarding God's character will be removed in everyone's mind we see the triumph of Daniel's God over all earthly powers this is a time when we see good will ultimately prevail God ultimately will vindicate his name and his people and Daniel's story reveals that in the conflict with evil good will ultimately prevail. We just need to have the faith and trust God through those difficult trials in the meantime. May God bless us as we continue in this series. Next week, the Lord willing Pastor Gio will be taking up the prophetic portions of the book of Daniel in chapters seven through 12. And I look forward to that. There's a lot more that we can learn from this book. But God bless Daniel and he has lessons for us to learn as well. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org, and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you, and have a great day.